Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but may have some questions. In short, the program is designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand, not necessarily things that are soul-shaking, but maybe something that's just been on my mind for a while. And I find rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Pastor Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. So you can send questions by email at any time at let's talk at kfuo.org or call during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is 314-8210-850 or anywhere in North America, toll free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Lawrence, welcome to the front porch again. Yes, it's good to be back. <laughs> yeah. And just to remind the audience, Pastor Lawrence happens to be my pastor. I'm a congregate at St. James. Yes, it's good to have you there, too. It's good to be there. Believe me. I I really, uh, you know, when I, when I first started, came back to St. Louis from California and started working here, uh, for the longest time I had to work on the weekends. Yeah. And so consequently, I did not have a home church here for a few years I see. until after the hours changed. And uh, that's why I found St. James. Good, good. I'm glad you found us. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted I found that. Believe me, it's you know it's a it's a small congregation and then just everybody knows everybody and it's yes. just that's the wonderful thing about it. Yes. So, here's what I would like to talk about today: <clears throat> Lutheranism 101. Because <laughs> you know you can get into conversation with non-Lutherans. And, you know, conversations just may come up. And, oh, well, I'm spiritual, man. You know, what are you? Well, I'm a Lutheran. Oh, well, what's a Lutheran? Uh, <laughs> how do we answer that? How do we answer that? What's the Lutheran? Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, first of all, we must remember that Lutherans are Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, we are Christians. And that's uh, one of the things that I um, like about uh this book, um, Lutheranism 101, um, it uh, it places us among Christians as opposed to cults, mm-hmm. and it uh, explains what it means to be Christian. You know that Christians believe everything that is in the Apostles' Creed, as opposed to cults. You know, cults can cannot confess the Apostles' Creed in good conscience because they usually do not. Um, believe everything in it. In fact, a lot of them uh, question um, who Christ is. Yeah. You know, they either see him as man or God, but not the God-man um, and uh, his work, you know. So, you know, you can separate Christians from cult easily based on the Trinity and the the person and the work of Christ. That's what separate Christians from cults. But then you can also start uh, differentiating among even the Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the way um, Lutheranism 101 breaks that down simply. It, it, uh, 
the beauty about the book, uh, and I know uh, quite a number of the authors. When uh-huh. I look through the list of um, authors, I go, wow, I know him, I know him, I know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Liquidism 101 is available through the Concordia Publishing House. Yeah. In fact, my mentor is one of the authors. Oh, really? The Reverend Larry Vogel. Um, I saw oh, okay. he has a, an I know of him. He's got quite a reputation. <laughs> yeah, okay. He's also in his... Randy Asbury, I think, is also um, oh, yeah. in the book. Yeah, so... I know Randy quite well. Yeah, they're quite a good number of good guys um, that are part of this um, this um, writing. Um, but, yeah, you know, you can also differentiate uh, a little bit between Christians and uh, the book sort of break it down between the the non-sacramental and the sacramental. Okay, now we need to define this term. Yeah, you know, um, you know, there are some Christians that um, believe in uh, the you know sacraments that God acting in a mysterious way, using visible things and audible words to do something that you can't see. You know, for example, with uh, with baptism, you know, you can hear the words, you can see and feel the water. Um, and when you combine those two, God is acting in a way that you can't see. I mean, he works faith. He forgives sins. Um, you can't see the working of faith in someone's heart. You can't see the, the forgiving of sins. You can't mm-hmm. see that. Well, but especially you, since we we do we practice infant baptism. Yes. And a lot of other Christian churches do not. Right, right. Um, and that's that's tend to be the group that is the non-sacramental. Ah. You know, the non-sacramental groups have a tendency to... to um, their thinking is more from man to God, not so much from God to man. And it's more about what we do out of obedience. You know, um, baptism is more an act of obedience on our part. The Lord's Supper is just a memorial meal that, um, you know, we do um, to remember Christ and his work. That's the non-sacramental Christians. Whereas the sacramental Christians believe that God is doing something in baptism. God is acting through baptism. He is acting through the Lord's Supper. In fact, the Roman Catholics have seven sacraments. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that we, we only have two sacraments we, that we right. recognize, baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper. Right. Now, our friends in the Catholic Church recognize, yeah. oh, the marriage is one. Right. Uh, Enter in, into the priesthood is one. Yeah, or, yeah uh, ordination is one. Um, what they call extreme unction. Yes. Um, and uh, extreme unction and holy orders, right? Extreme unction is they consider your last right mm-hmm. to someone, you know, the right of someone dying. They consider that to be a sacrament also, um, along with confirmation. Whereas yes. For us Lutherans, um, confirmation is a rite, but not a sacrament. And when we say rite, we mean R-I-T-E or R-I-G-H-T? R-I-T-E, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. rite that we, um, you know, that we take someone through so that they can confess what they really believe, what they have always believed, and what they have been taught. We want um, them not to deny Christ, but to confess Him. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't say that that is a sacrament. Um, because there is no forgiveness of sins necessarily being um, applied. God is not acting. God did not institute 
confirmation and said that I'm acting through this, but he did institute baptism. Yes. When he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we know that um, Christ instituted baptism and we know from other scripture passages that he is acting through baptism. In fact, Paul referred to it as the washing of regeneration. There is something that baptism, with baptism, God converts. Yeah. You know, we are born again through baptism, yes. I remember a few years ago, I got into a debate with a, uh, I I guess the guy was Pentecostal. He was Mm -hmm. pretty far out. And uh, he he always referred to himself as a born-again Christian. Right. And I said, well, me too. I was born again when I was baptized. Right. And he just did not get it. Right, right. And that's one of the difference between the, the sacramentals and the non-sacramentals. Because the non-sacramental Christians, especially when you're going among the Pentecostal and the holiness groups, mm-hmm. they have a tendency to look at um, the gifts of the Spirit and uh, and works um, gifts of the spirit and miracles and speaking in tongues, things like that. They look at that as evidence that someone is saved mm-hmm. and and born again. In fact, um, I spent a couple of weeks with um, two ladies, two ladies that had visited St. James. And, uh, you know, when I see visitors, I try to reach out to them. Oh, yeah. And uh, these I've seen two, that. yes, these <laughs> these two ladies were willing to let me come to their home ah. and uh, talk about Saint James and what we believe. And uh, um, as we went along with the catechism, I gave them copies of the catechism so that they could even read on their own. And boy, the um, the resistance I got was um, was uh, shocking, and because of because they come from that non sacramental group of Christians where mm-hmm. they believe in the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues as evidence that someone is um, is saved. And you know what was shocking to them? Mm-hmm. She went on and on one of our, at, at one of our meetings and talking about this is in Scripture and pointing to all these passages. And uh, for that meeting, I spent... A portion of the time just listening because you know it's important to to take the time to listen to someone and to see what is it they believe um, and then that you know should earn you the right to speak and so I spent that time that evening listening and uh, said to her I'd like to share something with her the next time I come by and uh, I shared it with her the next time from Matthew I think it's from Matthew 7 where the Lord says, um, uh, many in those day, in the last day will say, Lord, did we not um, prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Mm. So I say, if you are looking at those things as evidence that someone is saved the bible seems to be saying that you can do all of that and still not be saved and you may be empowered by another 
Exactly. So you can't look at you can't look at um, speaking in tongues or what they call baptism in the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and uh, say that that means someone is saved. You can't look at these external things to say that someone is saved. Whereas again, with the sacramental group, what are they looking at? They're looking at where God, anything that God has attached is promised to. Look at the promises of God. God has attached his promise to baptism. God has attached his promise to the Lord's Supper. So there you can look and go, yes, if God's promise is attached to baptism and I'm baptized, mm-hmm. then I can say I am saved. Well, one uh, one issue on baptism, I know I've uh, where we differ with a number of other uh, Christian faiths, is we do not do full body immersion, you know, and you know the Bible never said how much water is needed; just that water needs to be present. In fact, that was one of the debates I had with this lady, ah. <laughs> because uh, she um, insists that um, you know baptism you have to be immersed to be baptized. And uh, I said, well, where does it say that? And you know, when you look at she keep insisting that this is in Scripture. And I go, well, you, you can't just tell me it's in Scripture. you got to show me where yeah. it is. And you don't find anywhere in Scripture that a person was actually immersed. Correct. You know, if you look at even Jesus' baptism, it says after he was baptized, he walked up out of the water. But it doesn't say how he baptized him. Or with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he says after he was baptized, Philip is taken away. It doesn't tell you how he actually baptized him. But then she's insisting now that the word um, to baptize, and I said, but the Greek word baptizo or baptismos does not mean to immerse. It means to wash. Ah. It means to wash. In fact, it is synonymous with the other Greek word lutron that St. Paul used when he talks about the washing of regeneration. And the word really means to wash. It doesn't mean to immerse. Now, how do you wash? You can wash by immersing. Mm. We would say that that's a valid baptism if the person was immersed. What if you poured the water? We would say that that's a valid baptism also. What if you sprinkled it? It is still a valid baptism. The important Mm -hmm. thing is that you use water in connection with the Word of God because that's what God has attached His promise to, to this connection of water and Word. And so, but the the main thing that I wanted to stress Mm -hmm. to her is that you've got to see God as the one acting. This is not just me doing something out of obedience, me acting out of obedience to Christ. He said, do it, and so I am doing it. He attaches promise there. That means God is acting through baptism. He converts. He forgives sins. He works faith. You've got to think more in terms of from God to man rather than from man to God. And I think, you know, the the non-sacramental Christians have a way of thinking from man to God, whereas the sacramentals tend to think from God to man the opposite way, which is, uh, you know, a way of um, distinct, um, distinguishing Lutherans also from some Christians. We would fall among the the sacramental groups, not the non-sacramental. Mm-hmm. No, but even when, even though we might fall among the sacramental, 
we're still different from a lot of the sacramentals. <laughs> you know? yeah. you know, there yeah. is something unique about being Lutheran, you know. Well, these are part of the things that we're trying to get at. For example, Holy Communion, right. where we differ greatly from the Catholics and from the Baptists. Right. So how do we how do we view Holy Communion as different from them? Um, that the Baptists don't see um, the presence, Christ's body and blood being present at all. To they them, are, it's just a remembrance. Yeah, thing. yeah. They are part of the non-sacramental group. They just believe it's a memorial meal that we do to remember um, Christ's um, passion. Um, so they are they are part of the non-sacramental. Now the Roman Catholics, even though they are part of the sacramental group, they tend to believe in uh, what 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 they call or what is theologically called transubstantiation. Um, I think also the the um, the Eastern Orthodox and some of the High Church Anglican and Episcopalian may fall also in that category where they believe that the the bread becomes the body and the wine becomes the blood of Christ while so maintaining its it they believe that it may look like bread mm-hmm. and look like wine and taste like wine but that's just what they call the accident not the substance so then that's why the, you know that's where that term come from transubstantiation uh, they believe that the substance has changed uh-huh even though the accident remained, it just looked like bread, it looks like wine, it may even taste like wine, but they're saying it's not. Um, it became the body and blood of Christ. And we Lutherans believe what? Lutherans believe that, no, it is still bread. It is still wine. It didn't change. But the body and blood of Christ become present in with and under that bread and wine in with and under that's the key phrase that's the key yes you know we, we're not you, know, you see the thing is because uh, there was this um theologian from the past he was roman catholic um by the name of thomas aquinas mm-hmm. and uh in fact uh, his teaching is still um taught in a lot of the um catholic uh, colleges and even probably their seminary it's known as Thomism, and it is more of a philosophy than than theology. Um, and uh, he tried to explain. You see, that is where people run into trouble when you try to look at these mysteries in Scripture and try to solve it or explain it. Um, then you run into to heresy. Yeah. Because he tried to explain how Christ's body and blood become present, and he's used and he's u- and he was using Aristotelian logic to do it, and so in his in trying to resolve the issue, he ended up teaching what we know today as transubstantiation that the that the bread changes and the wine changes, which is n- not scriptural, which again is you know one of the ways Lutheranism is so distinct from a lot of even the sacramental its doctrine is not based on tradition at, at all we do not arrive at doctrine from human tradition the norm for us is the bible well i've even heard it argued that uh, lutherans we really aren't protestant and that we were not 
protesting per se. We were not trying to split from the church. No, I don't think Luther intended to to create a denomination, but more to correct the errors that was yeah. um, that in, was going on in the church. In at fact, the time. he was re- he became at, rather upset when his early followers referred to the movement as Lutheranism. <laughs> right. I don't think he wanted the, the, no. the church to be called that at all. Um, but uh, in the sense, one of my professors explained it this way. Um, he said, we are Catholic in substance and evangelical in principle. And I go, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? And he says, outwardly, you know, when you look at Lutherans, there's a lot of things about us that look very Catholic. Oh, yeah. The vestment, the liturgy, you know, the way we worship um, make us look very Catholic. Um, and, yeah, we are Catholic in the true sense of the term Catholic. Um, the true sense of the term Catholic refer to the church universal. Universal, yeah. And so, yes, in that sense, we are Catholic. And we still say that in one of the creeds, right? Exactly. In fact, um, they put that footnote at the, at the bottom of the creed, you know, where it says the Christian church. They goes, the ancient creed says the Catholic the church, church, you know. <laughs> and it's just, they just put Christian to explain what they mean by Catholic. Mm-hmm. But if you notice in the Athanasian creed, yeah. the word Catholic is still there. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. did not take that out, which is, I'm glad they didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, part of um, the distinction here with Lutherans is that it is not tradition that we don't arrive at doctrine based on tradition. You find tradition being a part of the um, Eastern Orthodox Church a lot and Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. They tend to put tradition on the same level as Scripture, you know. Yeah, they, Whereas the Lutherans are saying, no, you cannot put tradition on the same level as Scripture. Scripture stands above tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, you can correct tradition based on Scripture, but you're not going to correct scripture. scripture based on tradition. No. You know, even we, even our Lutheran confessions that we hold dearly, we're not going to put the Lutheran confessions on the same level as scripture, we put it below scripture. We say it is the correct exposition of the scripture. Um, so we, you know, we still look to the scripture as the ultimate norm. Not just the ultimate norm, but really the only norm. Yes, 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 yes. That, that's, yes, that's the best way to say it. <laughs> that's the, that is the better way to say yeah. it. Yeah, because, you know, and you see that that's where we, we, we are a little bit distinct now from the sacramental group. We share a lot with them when it comes to, um, believing that God is acting through the sacraments. But um, we don't understand the sacraments the same way, and uh, we don't um, see tradition, we don't put the same emphasis on tradition that they put um, on tradition. Oh, well, I think one thing we do is we recognize the concept of mystery. We know that there are things that we simply will not be able to understand. Yes. Uh, I think some other faiths have that as well, but I don't think they do it to the extent that we do. Uh, The idea being that we are quite comfortable in not having to try to explain how the, how the Christ is with us in in, uh, communion. Right, 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 right. We, we, uh, we don't explain everything. 
Uh, we're just going by, you know, we arrive at doctrine based on the consistency of Scripture. Yeah. You know, what a Scripture said in many different parts, um, and then we draw our conclusion um, based on that. Um, we don't go to anything outside. I mean, we may look at what church fathers have said, but again, for us, mm-hmm. the conclusion is going to be based on, on on the scriptures. Yeah, it is. And and another thing that we that we recognize uh, is that uh, Luther was not infallible. No, 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 <laughs> no. We can. We are free to disagree with Luther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where. In some of the other churches, you know, they will their founder or the or the pope or what have you. Right. Well, you know, you can't argue with that. Well, we can argue with Luther. We can, yes. And in fact, we do. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here, but we got a lot more to talk about. What is a Lutheran? If you're curious about it, or if you want to explain it yourself, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a few minutes. make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Hi, this is Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark. And this is Pastor Jolly John Lukomsky. Matt, I'm trying to think what would be a good theme verse for uh, wrestling with the basics, like John 3.16? Or... Well, I think I've got one, John. Yeah? Uh, how about Acts 2, verse 15? What is it? For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. That's perfect. All right, now, there's no time for foolishness. Wrestling, wrestling with, with the, the basics. basics. 9.05 Saturday mornings on KFUO. Where we take God's word seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. On November 11, 1918, World War I came to an end. It was known as the Great War, great in magnitude, not only in duration, but in the millions who died. 
Throughout America's history, the Bible has been an encouragement to soldiers going to war, often including messages from their leaders. In a letter printed in the front of a 1917 Bible, General John Pershing wrote, Hardship will be your lot, but trust in God will give you comfort. In another World War I-era Bible, a letter from President Woodrow Wilson wrote of the Bible, I beg that you will read it, not little snatches here and there, but long passages that will really be the road to the heart of it. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Howdy. We're right, we're right back here at uh, Let's Talk the Pastor's Inn. Today's guest pastor is Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri. And we are discussing what is a Lutheran? How do we explain it to people who aren't Lutherans? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes, how do we explain it to ourselves? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one of, the, one of the differences between us and, and other faiths, especially the Roman faith, is the concept of good works. Yeah. Uh, we believe, you know, we're already saved. We, we are saved through, through, by grace through faith. Yes. We are yes. justified through faith. Yes. Uh, and because of that, we will do good works. This right. is what the Christian will do. We'll, we'll, we'll do things that would be pleasing to God. But it will not affect our standing one way or the other. Not in the least in terms of our own salvation. Right. Well, look back for a second at um, at even the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, what did God do when once God brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments? The first thing He did was to remind them of just who He was and what He had done for them. You know, I am God Almighty. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. That is done. There's nothing for you to do now. You couldn't rescue yourself. I rescued you. And then he says, now this is how I want you to live. It's not like if you live this way, I'll rescue you from slavery. Mm -hmm. It's like I did it first. It's complete. You are free. Now this is how I want you to live. And we've got to think of good works the same way, that first of all, we are justified. You know, when Christ was, we could, we could, all, we, we could literally say, with Christ lifted up on the cross, arms stretched out, blood shed, he rescued us from slavery to sin, death, and hell. It's done. And so, how should we respond? You know, good works is how we respond to what God has done. We're not doing good works so that Christ will go to the cross and die for us and rescue us from slavery to sin, death, and hell. He already did that. And now our good works is the way we respond out of gratitude uh-huh. to what he has done. There's that, you know, and, and there are two kinds of sacrifices. We, uh, we often talk about the propitiatory sacrifice and the Eucharistic sacrifice. The propitiatory sacrifice that sacrifice was done and could only be done by Christ Jesus because that is the sacrifice that brought us the forgiveness of sins. 
The sacrifices that we offer are not propitiatory. They don't bring us the forgiveness of sins. The sacrifices that we offer are Eucharistic sacrifices. They are sacrifices of thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. They don't earn salvation. They don't earn the forgiveness of sins. They are our way of saying to God, thank you. And so, you know, to, you know, that is where, you know, I think the Roman Catholics go off, you know, when they start including works and say that it's, you're not saved only by grace, but also by works. That is considered by us to be antichrist. Mm. In fact, that is where, you know, Luther used the term, when you, Luther used the term antichrist, that's what he's really referring to. Well, it's denying denying that the work of Christ is is um is complete is sufficient for my salvation you're saying what Christ did is not enough there is something left for me to do um to for in order to be saved he did he did his part and now I have to do my part no that is anti-christian we're saying what he did is complete it's sufficient what i do is to say thank you in fact, um, you know, if the Roman Catholics even look back at their own tradition, and, and I grew up Roman Catholic mm -hmm. in Jamaica, and uh, the sacrament of the altar was often called by Roman Catholics the Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. I've heard the phrase. Well, let's look at the word Eucharist. The word Eucharist is, uh, is from that Greek word Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. That's what it means. In other uh -huh. words, and when I come to the Lord's table, the Lord gives me his body and his blood to eat and to drink. With that, he's given me the forgiveness of sins. And what is the proper response on my part? The proper response on my part is to say, thank you. Gratitude. Yeah. But not just thank you with the lips. No. I'm supposed to say thank you with my whole life. My life is supposed to be lived as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. And so, you know, we do good works. And, you know, I think one of the charge against Lutherans is, oh, since you believe in salvation by grace, then you don't believe people should do good works. No, on the no, contrary, no, no, no. we believe <laughs> that good works should be done um, out of gratitude to God. One of my colleagues said it this way. He said... God doesn't need my good works, but my neighbor does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the Lutherans are so active uh, in charity work and in, in uh, overseas, for example, yes. in disaster relief. We, we uh, fight uh, malaria in Africa. We've, yes. we've, we've worked all over the world. Uh, there was a, a story. I, I was speaking a couple, three years ago to some... Uh, uh, gentlemen who were uh, missionaries in, 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 in excuse me in Indonesia, oh. and they were working there uh, when there was that terrible tsunami hit. Wow! And uh, they stayed there and they worked. They did a lot of relief effort throughout the community down there. And after things had returned somewhat to normal, several of the local Islamic leaders mm. came up to them and said. Why are you helping our people? We're not Christians. Christians. Yeah. And the response is, we are. And that's why we're doing <laughs> that's this. That's why we're doing this. Exactly. Exactly. We are the children of God. And so 
my neighbor needs my good works, mm -hmm. and so I'll do it because he needs it. And it's also my way of thanking God for all that he has done for me. You know, it's not about trying to earn salvation. So, you know, the, the charge against Lutheran sometimes that, you know, we don't believe in works. Um, no, I think we believe in good works. We just have, you know, we just give it a different role mm -hmm. than, you know, Roman Catholics um, would give works. And, and one thing, I've discussed this here at the IC a couple of times with some people. I have something of a more inside look into what it is that we do worldwide. Uh -huh. Simply because of the people I run in here at the IC and the meetings I attend, I know what's going on. Uh, but we don't toot our own horn about this. No, that's true. That's true. You don't find um, Lutherans, um, yeah. you know, you know, advertising yeah. their good works. That's it exactly. And you know, it puts us in in kind of a bind. I think on the one hand, it's a shame that we're not recognized for what we do. On the other hand. Yes. I don't think God wants us to. Right, to advertise it as if, um, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. look at what I'm doing. Look at how good I am. No, that's yeah. not the point. Yeah. Um, you know, because when you start to um, put the wrong emphasis on good works, then it's no longer being done out of gratitude. You know, it's just being, if you start to taint it with any kind of a selfish motive, mm -hmm. Um, then, you know, it's uh, it's more of a filthy rag than good works. <laughs> well, it can backfire. Yeah. It can backfire. I remember uh, seeing a cartoon once. Uh, two young men were coming back from a church meeting, and they were arguing with each other, and the one said, yeah, well, I'm twice as humble as you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who can bow the lowest, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, and I think, you know, that's when we realize that even sanctification, you know, we often, we, we distinguish between justification and sanctification sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in sanctification, we recognize that that is also the work of God. I don't sanctify myself. It is God who sanctifies me, who makes me holy, who moves me to do works of uh, of service um, for my neighbor. So that sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. Even there in sanctification, we don't talk in terms of from man to God. We still talk in terms of God to man. Mm -hmm. You know, those whom God justify, he sanctifies. You know, he sets us apart to do good works. You know, he makes us holy. Uh, Pastor, we got a uh, got an email from a listener here, specifically addressed to you, and he's saying, "Can you please speak on the frequency of partaking in the sacrament of the altar, our Lord's body and blood?" And he says, "I'm reading a book by the Concordia Publishing House titled The Blessings of Weekly Communion by Pastor uh, Vitig, I believe." And he says, "I'm in agreement with that pastor that the sacrament of the altar should be received weekly because it does affect the body and soul." Do we have a, any? thoughts on that i prefer to have weekly communion also mm -hmm. um you know there there's been this practice in our church to um to not among some lutherans to not have communion weekly yeah um 
my church in California was like that. Was like I, that. Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't happy with that. Yeah, I I was never happy with um, with uh, not having communion weekly at all. Um, you know, and and there again, I would point to the scriptures because you look at what the the apostles did. Um, they would. Uh, they started to meet on the first day of the week and break bread. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look at scripture, weekly communion was the practice. Yeah. You know, they met on the first day of the week. These were Jews. And, uh, you know, Jews tend to worship on the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath is Saturday. Yeah. But these early Christians, the apostles, um, made that switch very early to the first day of the week. Why? Because they were celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Um, Our worship on Sundays is about celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. And the early Christians really um, would meet on the first day of the week to break bread. So the Lord's Supper was, was a part of their weekly worship on did, the did Luther address this issue I, I if I recall he he pointed to the fact that uh, if someone was not receiving the sacraments maybe you know three four times a year the person wasn't a Christian yeah. and I you know sometimes people misread Luther or you know they don't Luther have a way of you know sometime with hyperbole you know, you might say, well, if you're not doing this, you know, then you're not a Christian. And then some of them take it to mean that you should only have communion four times a year mm. or twice a month. But uh, I don't think Luther would uh, advocate um, not having weekly communion. I really don't think so. Well, I was discussing that issue a couple of years ago with uh, with a pastor friend of mine here, and he was saying the minimum should be four times a year, but it should be done as often as possible. Right. I remember having a, a professor that said, you know, as often does not mean weekly. But uh, I'm not looking at, if, you know, this is where I would look at the practice of the early church. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would look to what the early apostles did and they did meet on the first day of the week to break bread. And that's certainly outlined in the New Testament. Yes, yes. So again, as as Lutherans, you know that Scripture is the final and highest and really only right. And then and then also, you know, if we look at the benefits of of the of the Lord's Supper, why would I want to? Why would I want to not have it every week? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if in the Lord's Supper I am receiving the body and blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, you know. Um, nourishment for my soul Mm -hmm. why would i say you know i don't need this every week why would i say that um you know it would be like going home and my wife said um i gave you dinner yesterday so we're not gonna have we're not gonna have dinner tonight (laughs) you know um (laughs) you know i i look forward to to the lord's supper Uh weekly you know that weekly forgiveness of sins that weekly um, nourishment for my soul, you know, I, I think that that's important for us, you know, because here's something that, um, you know, um, we should also bear in mind that, uh, which we talked about um, a while back when we talk about the imprecatory Psalms. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we are in this spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual warfare going on. You have the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh that ought to get us, you know. And the only way we can maintain our faith is to have the Word of God, the sacraments, and that righteous nature that has been worked in us in baptism, that new nature that has been worked in us. And so I need as much of the Word and the sacrament as I can get to stand up against the devil, the world, and my sinful flesh. Mm. Well, we that's that's another area, I think, where, where we Lutherans differ with some other uh, denominations, is we believe our natural disposition is evil. Yes, yes. I am, you know, that's what we're saying also in the Lord's in in uh, in the Lord's prayer, when we when we say, "Thy will be done on earth mm-hmm. as it is in heaven," we want God to break and hinder the work of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature that don't want to let His name be holy in our lives, that don't want His kingdom to come to us. Well, how does God's kingdom come to us, and how is His word kept holy in my life? When I hear his word in all its truth and purity, and I receive his sacraments. So the sacraments offset, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 that evil side of me, my sinful, my sinful nature and the world, so that I am able to overcome those, the, the, the attacks of the devil. I, I've, I've heard so many people, especially secularists, say, well, people are born neutral or they're not, or they're, or they're born good. How can anybody look at the world today and say that right how can you say that how can you say that you know if you're born if you're born without sin <laughs> if you're born without sin you shouldn't get sick and you shouldn't die ah and uh, sickness and death happen even to infants yes they do you know that you shouldn't get sick and die. You know, but you know to the to the person that wrote the email, I yeah. think it's you know I, I agree with this weekly communion because of the benefits, the spiritual benefits that's in the sacrament for us. You know, the forgiveness of sin, the strengthening of our faith. You know, we need to have our faith nourished and strengthened um, in this world, in this sinful world that we live, and in this sinful flesh that we live and so for someone to want to push back the sacrament and you know only the devil would want you to not have the sacrament <laughs> weekly, you know? and, and why would he not want you to have it because he knows what it's gonna do for you you know yeah. so no i agree you know in terms of the spiritual warfare that we are in i am all for weekly um communion i am all for weekly communion and uh in fact, uh, I would uh, when I went to serve the church in New York after seminary, and uh, they were having communion only twice a month. It was one of the things I really pushed for was to start having weekly communion. And when the altar guild said, "Well, we're not going to do that every week," I said, "You don't have to. I'll do it. I'll do it. I will set up the altar, and I will." clean up afterward just so that we can have the sacrament weekly. Mm-hmm. And why not? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a great point. And, and yeah, I know it, it 
in in my personal experience, I miss it when I don't have it. Yes. I don't feel like I went to church. <laughs> yeah. you, know, it's like, you know, I went to I went to Virginia to um, see my daughter and visited her church, mm-hmm. and it's a very contemporary church, and there was no communion that Sunday. Yeah, and I was like, wait a minute, you not only took away my liturgy and my hymns, <laughs> you also took away my Lord's Supper. <laughs> but, you know, did I have did uh, I go to church today? You know, um, without that. Um, you know, those of us who understand the spiritual warfare that we are in, we value the sacraments. We value um, the liturgy. We value, you know, confession and absolution. Well, they did have that in, even in the contemporary worship. But boy, I mean, you know, it. Uh, there was just so much missing, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we don't have liturgy and the Lord's Supper. You're right. Well, as I mentioned, you know, my church in California did not, practice uh, weekly communion and they did all that they they were doing the contemporary services and i was never comfortable with it but i never quite realized why yes yes but as you said you know they've taken away both my liturgy and <laughs> and my lord's supper you know <laughs> the very thing that i need that is the nourishment for my soul you know yeah. uh, nourishment for my faith and you take that away too yeah. uh and and then you don't have a good reason. Right. I have never heard the one reason that a pastor gave for not having weekly communion turned me off so badly that I left the church. Whoa. He said to me when I argued him, I said, why are we moving away from weekly communion to just twice a month? He says, because weekly communion, it's uh, it's monotonous and it's too much work. Oh, gee. That, that, that's the wrong pastor. Yeah. It's monotonous and too much work. Oh, boy. Come on. Then why are you here as pastor, you know, if this is too much work? (laughs) Pastor, we have Cheryl from Indianapolis on the line. Cheryl, welcome aboard. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just, uh, you were talking about the Lord's Supper being celebrated uh, weekly. And um, I was uh, noticing that on Concord Matters, they are on article... uh, 24 of the Apology to the Augsburg Confession that's about the Mass. And they, right at the beginning, they say um, the, the Masses are celebrated among us every Lord's Day and on other festivals. And I think by Masses, they mean uh, the Lord's Supper. Yes, yes. But every Lord's Day. Now, at our congregation, what they have done forever, as long as I know, is they'll celebrate it every Sunday, but since we have four services, they'll alternate what services they celebrate the Lord's Supper at. And since people don't change which worship service that they attend at the time, it tends to be, it gets to be like two times a month. Right, <laughs> right. They say, oh, well, we're celebrating it every Sunday. Every, right. So, but 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 you'd have to but, but you'd have to go to the early mass one Sunday and the, right. the, the late mass the other Sunday yeah. too, to, in order to have the Lord's supper weekly. Yeah. And I did. I asked my pastor about it, and he's a new pastor, so you know he's you know this is something that we've always done. We've always done. So he said, well, first he thinks he's going to have to do a lot of teaching about what is worship. Oh. Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to make that comment. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, yes. Cheryl, thanks so much for your comment. As usual, you always make a contribution. <laughs> Pastor, now here is a, a, 
a serious but not serious question. I'm okay. Going to, you know, we both happen to have our copies of Lutheranism 101, and yeah. I want to direct your attention to page 232. Now, when we go up to the communion rail and we take the supper and we cross ourselves, did you notice that in Lutheranism 101 it shows crossing right to left instead of left to right? On page 232. 232. Not on page 232. Well, here, check. Maybe we've got different versions of the book here. Okay. Yes, I did see this. Oh, yeah, we have different version of the book. Uh -uh. This is on 232 of yours. Yes, yeah, I see that. Yeah, as you, you probably noticed that when I when I cross myself at the church, I cross right to left. Yes. Um, you know where that comes from? <laughs> <laughs> to show that we're not Catholics. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, you know, the first time I saw that was um, with my mentor when he came to New York. Ah. Because I grew up Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. And in the Catholic Church, we go um, from from left to right. Correct. Not from right to left. And uh, when I saw him do it from left to right, I go... Why Why did you do that? And uh, why you do it that way? And uh, he said that he grew up as a Lutheran doing it that way. So, <laughs> so is this for me? Yeah, that's, that's for you. We got another uh, listener comment here. And I got to remind you, we've only got about two minutes left in the show. Oh, this says, um, my church saves leftover wine that has been consecrated to be used if the pastor is out the next week that is not that is not right um you can you can you can use um consecrated wine i take consecrated wine with me to um to visit the homebound and the sick uh. um yes you can take consecrated wine with you um you're still going to consecrate it again Mm -hmm. um, be, when you're doing the service with the sick and the homebound. Um, what I tend to do, though, is I commune last. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I have noticed that. And uh, so everything is consumed. There is nothing left over um, except what's in the little cups. And, uh, you know, I still bemoan the fact that um, those little cups were introduced into our church. I wonder where did they get yeah. this from? I know the Bible. Yeah. Jesus said, <laughs> I don't drink you all from the cup. You yeah. know, so I always use the common yeah. cup. But that, you know, that practice of having those little cups, I think it's coming into the Lutheran church from the Protestant churches. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's a Protestant idea that has snucking into the Lutheran <laughs> church. Um, but I, I consume what's left in the chalice. That's one of the reasons why I commune last, so that there's nothing left. Um, but even what's in the, the little cups, that is also um, consecrated. And so we do always have a bottle of wine in the sacristy that has consecrated wine. And that is put in the refrigerator. And uh, whenever I put my communion kit together to go out and see the hospitalized or the homebound, I take wine from there. Yeah. I hope that answers the question. And as you can tell by the music coming up, our time is over. Oh, <laughs> turn. <laughs> when you're having fun, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
You've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor's in today's guest pastor, Wayne Lawrence of St. Lo- James Lutheran Church in University City. And I want to give special thanks to Pastor Meredith Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Lord, and Honor as the theme song. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.